redeem it. You have to buy it back. That is what Christ does with us. He buys us back from the power of sin and death and hopelessness. He does two other things. You know, it's interesting. When you read through this story, when you get to the story of the two blind men and the demon-possessed man who is mute, it almost seems anticlimactic. I mean, don't you build toward a dramatic ending? I mean, there's hardly anything more dramatic than raising somebody from the dead. You would have expected that the way Matthew, because he's organizing this material in a very particular way, you would have expected him to tell the story of the healing of the leper, or the blind man, rather, and, and, and the healing of the demon-possessed man who was mute at the beginning. Why? Because we've already seen that Jesus has healed blind people, and we've already seen that Jesus has cast out demons. So we would have expected that, and you would have expected him to build toward this climax where, on top of all of that, Jesus does what? He raises a girl from the dead. So why, if Matthew is organizing this material in order to make a point, why does he put these two stories at the end? It's almost anticlimactic. I think Matthew knows exactly what he's doing. Because when Jesus brings new life, when he forgives sinners, he not only restores that isolated fellowship, makes the unclean clean, he not only gives hope to the hopeless, but he also gives sight spiritual sight to those who are spiritually blind. Let me give you a great example of this. Keep your finger there in Matthew and skip over to Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 24. One of my favorite stories. Luke chapter 24. I already told my wife, I hope they put this on my tombstone. Now, this is Easter. Chapter 24 describes the resurrection. So this is Easter day. Jesus has been raised from the dead, but not everybody knows it yet. When we look at verse 13, that very day, two of them, that is two of the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. That is to say, they're Dreams have been dashed to pieces. Jesus had been crucified. His body had been taken down from the cross, laid in the tomb. They thought the dream was over. Everything was finished. What do you do? Well, go home. No use staying around here anymore. And so these two disciples were on their way to Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were walking with each other and talking about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But look at verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. There's the authority. And how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But, and this is such a sad statement, you can almost hear the despair in their voice, but we had hoped. We had hoped. 
Now, they said there are many things that you and I can live without. We cannot live for very long without hope, but their hope is gone. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going, Emmaus, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And look at verse 31. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And verse 32 is the, is, the, is the verse that I want on my tombstone. So if I pop off while I'm here, you know, just... <laughs> And they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he walked with us along the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their eyes were opened. See, that's the first thing Jesus does to somebody. After they've experienced all of these other things, they've been restored to fellowship, they've been made clean, washed in the blood of the Lamb, their hope has been restored, and he opens their eyes and they begin to see him for who he really is. They begin to see that he is no mere man. He is, in fact, the Lord of glory. He is the Savior of the world. He is God in the flesh. And here's the next thing that he does he loosens their tongues. <laughs> You know, Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again if he was ever to see the kingdom of God. Now, I know that sometimes Anglicans, Episcopalians are a little uncomfortable with that language of being born again. And you've heard me say this before. You say, well, I know that there's born again Christians. Let me tell you something. There's no other variety <laughs> than the born again Christian. Jesus said, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven if you are not born again. So we must be born again. Now, when somebody is born, physically born, what's the first thing that mom and dad and the doctor listen for once a baby is born? A cry. Because the cry is what? A sign of life. The same thing is true when you read through the Gospels. Every time Jesus makes somebody alive again, the first thing they want to do is go and tell others. Even when he says, no, don't tell anybody about it. They can't help it. They go out and they tell everybody about it. It's interesting to note that Paul had persecuted the church prior to his conversion on the road to Damascus. He felt that Christianity was a terrible deceit, that it was bringing people down, dragging them away from the true faith of their forefathers. And yet when he encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and Ananias came and laid hands on him that he received his sight, 
Remember something like scales fell from his eyes and he received his sight. He was able to see things in an altogether new light. The first thing he did, the book of Acts says, is he began to tell people and prove from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. That's one of the evidences, incidentally, of new life. Just as a baby cries out, a person who has been saved by Jesus Christ cannot help but tell another person about what God has done for them. And we see that here as this story ends. This is, this is the power of these three miracles, you see. Jesus gives new life, and once he gives new life, their eyes are open. They're able to see, to comprehend, to understand in a way that they never had before, and they go forth and they tell the world about it. Here was a man who was possessed of a demon, but Jesus loosened his tongue and he was able to speak. That's what God does, my friends. He did it then, he still does it today. One of my favorite hymns, Wesley's always good for a hymn. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of Thy name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease, Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. He speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful broken heart rejoice, the humble poor believe. Hear him, ye deaf. Ye voiceless ones, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior comes, and leap ye lame for joy. In Christ your head, you then shall know, shall feel your sins forgiven, anticipate your heaven below, and own that love in heaven. It's no mistake, incidentally, that this section of miracles ends with a mute man being given the power to speak. And then the very next section, the part that we come to now, is about Jesus sending those who have been saved, those who've had their sins forgiven, sending them out into the world as witnesses. We are told that as he stood there, he saw the people coming, harassed and helpless, and he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest field. Are you prepared to go out into the harvest field? See, if you're a Christian, what you're claiming is that what happened to those people, to that dead girl, Paul says you're dead in your trespasses and in your sins, and God, who is rich in mercy, what? Made you alive. If you're a Christian, you're saying, that, that was me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Your situation was hopeless before God. There was nothing you could do to earn His favor, but God, who's rich in mercy, came to you. You may have turned to Him in your despair, but He did not forsake you. He received you. Like that isolated woman, God made you clean. And then he did what? He opened your eyes, 
to see life for what it really is, to help you see the things that really matter, and it's not the accumulation of wealth and power and possessions, all of which what eventually go away. But you suddenly begin to see Jesus Christ, the lover of your souls, and you begin to fall in love with Him. And having come to know Jesus Christ, you want nothing more than to go out and tell others that they may come to know the joy that you have experienced in Him. That's what it means to be a Christian, my friends. That's what our calling is as believers. And the question is, are we going to get on with it? Because we live in a world filled with hopeless, isolated mourning, broken, unclean people. And we know the secret that is going to make them whole. Now, I think this is probably a pretty good place to start since I sometimes hold you over five or ten minutes. This is probably a good place for us to start. Not that I don't have more to say. <laughs> but it's a good place for us let me just say this, if you have never experienced what I've just described for you, what Matthew is describing, you need to. And you don't need to leave here today until you do. You need to know the power of canceled sin. You need to know the power of hope. You need to be born again. And if that's the case, I know we've got some prayer ministers here today. Um, Juanita's here today. She'd be glad to pray with you. I am more than happy to pray with you. Brian McGreevy's back there. He'll be more than happy to pray with you. But don't leave here today until you know the hope that these people in Matthew's gospel know. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise that Matthew organizes this material in such a way that it is not just a record of past events not just a catalog of miracles, but they show us what Jesus really came into this world to do, and that is to save sinners, to save them from the guttermost to the uttermost. Grant us the grace, having been saved by Him, to go out and tell the good news to all the world, to all who will listen, and even to those who won't. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.